morning. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. Happy Easter. Let's give the band like another round of applause. I thought they were just awesome. We're still a very new church. This is our first Easter, and we're two services in. This is service number three, so they are doing awesome. I just was so impressed with their talent. They're going to come back up here, so don't worry. Like, they'll be back. They'll do a couple more songs for us. But I'm really excited to be celebrating our first Easter together here. Well, anyways, welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron DeMaster. I'm the pastor here. Uh, thanks for coming to check out our one-hour service set to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We promise we won't make you say or do anything weird during the service so you can just relax. Actually, today, we hope to give you the gift of that your, or, and your family the gift of that, uh, a relaxing time to help you continue celebrating Easter and what it's all about. Here at Centerpoint, we're a place that's set to be always positive, relevant, and real, the best we possibly can. And it's especially easy to do when the week is Easter, right? Because it's kind of full of good news, and it's what we all need today. In the church world, Easter weekend, it's kind of like the Super Bowl of church. No, we don't have the amazing commercials or the chips and dip here or the beef and cheese or a cooler full of beers or anything like that. But it's this day that is just exciting to be a part of and attend no matter who you are or how your relationship or how you feel your relationship with God is. Easter is a giant moment for Christians as it's the celebration to remember his grace-filled act or this grace-filled act of Jesus, which is God coming to earth in human form of Jesus then living perfectly on earth, but then die a brutal death for mankind by mankind. And then rising three days later and says, we too can rise and have this new life with God if we're connected with him. It's this act that happened on Easter that has been remembered for centuries and will be remembered for centuries. As you heard the opening song, it, it's a popular song from maybe a few years back. But if you're like me, you maybe had to think twice. You're like, how long is a century again? Like, and so I Googled it for you. Don't worry. Uh, a century is 100 years. Uh, so if you're questioning that it's 100 years, that's a long time, right? To remember for centuries, hundreds of years. And it's been like 2,000 years since Jesus. If we were to describe Jesus in today's slang, Jesus would be known as this legend or, or one who has legendary status. But for real, he's obviously a big deal, and his life and death was this huge moment if we still talk about it and celebrate it so many years later. I mean, think for yourself once. How many other things do you remember for that long? I mean, personally, I, uh, I've been always bad with dates and remembering certain things. And as I'm aging, I'm learning I'm getting more and more forgetful. Um, it, it started with, like, the one that was really noticeable that I'm becoming more and more forgetful was trying to remember my wife, Sydney's birthday. It's June 19th, right? Is she in here? Uh, or 20? Is it the All right, yeah. Like, I'm that guy. The struggle is real. Like, I'm, I'm trying to always remember it. And then we have this one-year-old. Her name's Eliza. And actually, she's not one. She's zero. Um, and I've, got, I've realized I've got to memorize her birthday now, too. Because everyone is like, how old is she? And I say, well, she's zero. But then people follow up with this question. Can you guess it? Like, how many months is she? Wait, what? Since when have we been counting months, right? Like, she's between zero and one. Like, I don't know. I'm stressing as we maybe will have more kids in the future, and it's just more dates to remember. Is anybody there with me on this? 
Can I get a little head nod? All right, all right. And all the guys in the room are like thinking, amen, right? Like, I preach it. Uh, don't worry, I won't get you in trouble making you state your anniversary or anything like that. Yeah, all your spouses are looking at you now. But anyways, <laughs> my forgetfulness personally, it doesn't stop there. It's when I'm at Menards, I forget why I'm there, but it's okay. I just think of a new project. Or uh, I'm at Cadoba after lunch for some reason, and I just, oh, why am I here? Oh, to get another burrito, of course. Now, these are silly, right? But these are me with dates and things in my life, even with things I try to remember, yet I'm forgetful of. I think we can all relate a little, right? But then, even in all of my forgetfulness thing, uh, of these things, there are things that I just can't forget. And they are the things that I'd say are some of the grandest gestures others have done for me. Some by even random people, and, and for no good reason. There are things that just stick with me. Years ago, my, my wife and I, we, we were doing what we called a vancation adventure. We were traveling the U.S., sleeping in a van that we renovated that had 300,000 miles on it. Well, it unexpectedly broke down in the middle of nowhere. Can you even say that, though, when something has 300,000 miles on it? Probably not. Um, but anyways, it broke down in the middle of nowhere. And we had a limited amount of time in our traveling. And so we're trying to find an auto body shop. And I called this place, and the guy's like, well, you could sleep in my RV. Sounds sketchy, right? Like sleeping in some other dude's RV, like and during our travel. Yep, it was this amazing gesture that this guy was offering us, and he actually fixed it in the day, and we didn't even have to like stay in his RV, which was awesome. But it was this amazing gesture he offered to us. This past year, my my family and I we went through a house fire, and we were out of our house for six months. Well, we're in this brand new neighborhood that we moved to, and we received countless gifts from our neighbors and from our community that don't even know us. It was amazing. That was an amazing gesture. And then even in my relationships, I, I think of, of certain times that I've gone through. And to be completely honest with you, as a pastor, I've done some pretty messed up stuff in the past and still do to this day at times. I've been one who's backstabbed people. I've gotten revenge. I've hurt others. I've gossiped about them. I've lied and just th done things that I'm not proud of. But one memory in particular that I can't forget, and I have this clear visual, is I was with a bunch of my friends. We're all hanging out, and we start kind of talking about this mutual friend that we all have. We start kind of bashing him. And I, I remember, like, we, we kind of are going off on him. And I remember me kind of going through this speech of saying, like, ah, He's going to have a rough couple of years. Like, he just needs to grow up. He's, he's lazy. He needs to get a job. He, he needs, like, to find a girl. Or, like, it was just, like, over and over. And I'm just going on and on and on. And I start seeing all my friends, like, do, their eyes doing like this. And I'm, like, still going. And then all of a sudden, I feel a hand on my back. And I look, and it's him. Oh. I was full on gossiping and, and backstabbing him, this friend of mine. And I thought our relationship was over. He let things go, and he forgave me, and in kind of like a man way, like not really wanting to talk about it, just kind of like, hey, do you want to go for a bike ride and grill out? Sweet, like you're forgiving me? Like, it was amazing. Now, all these things, they were these unexpected, unnecessary acts that mean the world to me. And honestly, I will never forget these kind of gestures of grace. Because not only did it feel amazing to have these people relieve the burden of my frustration or wrongdoing and baggage in that moment, but I also now have amazing futures with them because of that grace. Like for my wife and I, our van trip continues because of this guy. 
my family's time getting through the fire. It was easier and honestly a little less crummy with gifts and notes from other people that we didn't even know. And then my, my friend and I, we're still friends to this day and are still making new memories together that wouldn't have happened without grace from him. Now, have you experienced something like that for yourself? A moment of help or acceptance, of forgiveness, a time of love or care when you least expected it, or even when you were undeserving of it. A time where you were able to let go of baggage and guilt. I think many of us have, right? And many of us have remembered those particular moments. The biblical word and concept of this is, is grace. And what grace means is, I just Googled it for you. Grace in, in Christian theology, it's the spontaneous, unmerited gift of the divine favor in the salvation of sinners. Now, to give you just a really basic uh, definition of it, is, it is grace is a free, undeserving gift. Free, undeserving gift. Again, have you experienced that before in life and remembered it? How about with God? Have you experienced that with God? It's so easy to, to write yourself off as someone that shouldn't experience that with God. Like, ah, oh, I'm not one of those churchy people. Ah, oh, I've done some messed up stuff. Or I don't think God really connects with people like me. Or I've tried that straight and narrow path. It's just not for me. If that's you, the meaning behind Easter is especially exciting for you and should be memorable. Since the beginning of time, God has been trying to connect specifically with humans like yourself. People who are messy, or the church word for that is, is sinful. If you are a person who is messed up, you are in the mix with every other person, every other Christian that God still desires you and has grace available to you. Sure, God has guidelines and desires for your life on how you should live, but he has grace for you no matter what. This concept of grace, it's this theme that's seen throughout the entire Bible, specifically God's grace to us. And it starts from the very beginning of the Bible, and it's seen continuously throughout the Bible since it, the explosion that happens on Easter. If you look to the beginning of the Bible, it's been attempt after attempt after attempt of grace given by God to mankind. And it starts in the beginning. God creates the universe and the world fully. And God forms man from dust. He gracefully gives guidelines, like specifically only one, to the first humans on how to maintain this perfect relationship with their creator. They choose to go against, and there's natural consequences, yet God doesn't abandon them. Well, this starts a trend for humanity, and the whole world becomes corrupt and bad. All of humanity, it turns evil, yet one distinct man and family was seen with favor. Not perfect, but with favor. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Genesis 6, 8 says. Noah, the man who built an ark, uh, dealt with creatures and a flood that came to the earth, he finds grace from God to lead the world. Afterward, God gracefully commits to never do this again. Humanity starts fresh to get to a man named Abraham, and God says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, meaning get busy, you're having a baby. The thing ancients desired the most. Yet when this child doesn't come in his timing, he takes having children in his own hands with a different woman and messes God's plan. But the, God, the grace of God persists and he grants them the having a child the proper way and his legacy continues. Later, God's people become conquered and enslaved and he shows grace to them by rescuing them, freeing them. He gives a man named Moses the law, the Ten Commandments on a mountaintop, which although difficult to do, these are prime examples of grace because they're clear understanding and direction how to love God and love others best. Time continues. God sends judges to lead, not dictate, but to 
to guide people against battles of other nations, navigating right decisions in the right way of life and understanding what God wants. He sends prophets and teachers to direct and give grace to his people when they start on wrong paths before it's too late, such as worshiping false idols and getting away from right relationship with God and others. Yet they choose the other direction so many times. God's people have gone through ups and downs of listening but ignoring, waiting but selfishly, thriving but think there's better somewhere else. But, but then, but then, God directs people to fully live out the way he wants until this big thing happens. A man whose stories, prophets, and legends predict to come, Jesus, the Savior, arrives. He lives a perfect model for humans, and he gracefully heals people to get people closer and closer to what God has originally intended for all. But then the prediction of his death as foretold in scriptures of him being killed by, by those who think he's too far off, those who are like you and me. He dies this, this brutal, torturous, undeserved death on a cross. He's put in the tomb with a rolled stone, and then three days later, as people are preparing a proper burial, his body is gone. The tomb is empty, and people are sad and confused. But then Jesus shows up alive and declares he has gracefully been preparing a way for all of us to experience life to its fullest with God. A life that starts both here and now and also something in the future. He says, through your belief in me, you will be graced over. My death is the law and expectation fulfilled to satisfaction for your mistakes and consequences. You can live in me because of the grace that is fully offered through me. This is the grace that's seen throughout the entire Bible from the Old Testament to Jesus. Since the beginning of time, we see we've been people and the people of God have been ignorant. We've been selfish. We've been messed up. Yet this theme of grace, this forgiveness, this fixing and pursuit from God is consistent. As we think about ourselves, we fit in that group of people who have done both dumb and harsh mistakes against God and against others. And honestly, it can get heavy, right? For me, not only am I getting older and becoming more and more forgetful, but the older I am, the more mistakes seem to add up, and it's heavy to carry. For me, I think of the times that I've backstabbed people, or I think to the times that have added up of the times I felt God's prompting and I said, nah, I'm good. Or the times that I know what's right, yet I choose wrong. Or the th time that I tell those little lies that kind of hurts that person a little bit. Or the times that I've chosen selfishness over purpose. The times I've judged knowing full well it's wrong. The times I've looked at something, said something, or desired something that I know is just wrong, but I did it. I remember things. And honestly, if you've ever wronged someone before, you know exactly what I mean. It's this baggage, it's this thought, it's this weight that you just can't shake. But what if you could? What if the God of the universe could release that for you? That is what Easter is all about. It's Jesus dropping God's biggest bomb of grace by living perfectly as we should on earth and then dying for the consequences of our mistakes, the past, the present mistakes, and the future ones. And it changes everything for everyone who wants to accept it. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone drops a bomb like that, it doesn't just have this little effect. It's huge. It's something you do not forget. It's an act that's remembered for centuries. But even though it's this giant memory in the world and the Super Bowl of church, this act, this bomb of grace, it only matters to you individually 
and becomes memorable to you if you accept it personally. And I got to ask you, have you accepted that? That gift of grace, the relief of baggage, the right relationship and guidance from God. Have you done that before? Do you want that? If so, the Bible's really clear about how to do this and how to accept this. It's a tr- there's a traditional way of looking at it, and I'm going to show you it in a second here. It's called Romans Road, and it's in the book of Romans, which is part of the Bible, and it explains how to have a right relationship with God. I'll read it for you. It says in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Um, and what it's saying by sin is, sin again, is this a church word meaning you've messed up and, mista- and made mistakes. But it's saying we all have messed up. And every single one of us needs grace. It says then, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So even though we messed up from centuries ago up until now, our disobedience has grace. It continues in Romans 6, 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. And that gift, that relief is available to anyone. It says in Romans 10, 13, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then how you do that is in Romans 10, and it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So when you confess that to God and say that to God and believe that, Romans 10.10 says, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. That's accepting grace. That's accepting God, and that's becoming a Christian. I think right now there, there's maybe some people here that want that, who want to experience that. You're maybe feeling heavy, you've been carrying, and honestly, you want the grace of God. You want that. If you believe the things I just said, it's now just telling it to God. It's accepting that grace. So if that's you, I'm going to pray right now and give you a chance to say that to God in your own head and your own heart, most importantly, um, to tell him that you want his grace. But some of us in the room, we've maybe done that before. And what I want us to pray for at the same time is, is I want you to pray for someone that you want to accept that grace, that you know needs that grace. So would you pray with me right now? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace that was dropped on Easter. Some of us right now want to accept that for the first time of saying, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for coming back to life and, and being this perfect sacrifice for us. We want to accept that. We want to accept your forgiveness. And we want to follow you and have your guidance lead us. God, be with us. Have us continue to look to you for grace. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you just did that, that's amazing. It's a celebration in heaven right now. We have a book for you. It's called Following Jesus. You can grab this at our Welcome Center. Take it with you. All it is is a book to help you follow Jesus. Um, So grab one of those if that's you. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Now, when you notice or experience a bomb like that, this grace bomb, it's hard to not notice it, right? It's hard to to shake it. It, It's something that infiltrates your life for a while. This might be inappropriate for church, but uh, I'm going to tell you anyways. Um, I have this daughter who drops bombs. Y'all know what I mean. Like, she's little, so she doesn't go in the other room. She doesn't wait, like, until you leave or anything like that. She actually does this. She squats and looks at you. It's awkward. It's super awkward. But this bomb, although noticeable visually, it infiltrates everything around us. 
And let me tell you, there are some memorable ones like that I'm trying to shake, but I can't. They've been burned in my nostrils and mine. Um, but, but just like a bomb of something smelly infiltrates everything, a bomb of grace does as well. When you realize the gift of grace you've received from God, you can't help but have grace uh, infiltrate your life and perspective of others, which is exactly what God desires for us. And it should infiltrate how to love him and your neighbor. In Matthew twenty two thirty seven, it says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your life is now built up from grace and forgiveness of God. You live without baggage, and this makes you different. Ephesians 2.9, it talks about this. It says, for by the grace of God, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we are brought from death to life, baggage carriers to freedom by way of a gift of sacrifice of Jesus. That's it. You did nothing. You simply accept that. If you leave here today with that, that's awesome. But some of us today have let grace infiltrate us, and we're now starting to, you know, get a hint of a bomb coming. Y'all know what I mean, like a little puff of something coming, of a time you ate too much. All right, I'll stop with the bathroom humor. But for real, you've accepted grace, and it's free, and, but you, now you want to do something about it. You want to act on it. Have you thought that before? Like, where do I show grace? How can I show grace? How do I love my neighbor? What is a way I can drop a non-smelly bomb on others? Well, Ephesians 2, it keeps on going about this, and it's very clear. It says in verse uh, 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It says we are his workmanship, created new by the grace of Jesus, prepared to do good works. Now, there's one word I want to focus on in there, and it's workmanship. Workmanship is something built for a purpose, and it's usually unique for a particular situation or person. Uh, for me, I was thinking about this, and I would like to say my wife and I, our relationship is a workmanship. Our marriage as a couple is a workmanship that we've created. We've built our relationship with a purpose that fits us and what we want. So, for example, of how we've created this is I'm a clean freak. I'm going to be honest about it. So I do the cleaning in the house. I'm also super picky about how our house looks inside. So that's kind of me too. I take care of that. When it comes to scheduling things, I'm like what I like to say, and no offense at all about this, but I'm like what I'd like to say is I'm the stereotypical woman. Like I do all the scheduling for our social gatherings. Yeah. But now when I think about it, almost all the things I mentioned are kind of that. But anyways, my wife, she doesn't. The things she doesn't want to do is she doesn't ever want to pick up throw up. That's me. I take care of that for her. She doesn't ever want to do garage things because we have a scary creature out there. But anyways, but she, she doesn't want to do those things. All garage things are me. That's, those are some things that we've created in our workmanship as a married couple. But now when we add our child in, our daughter is this whole new ballgame, right? There's a new workmanship that we have had to do as parents. Uh, now for me, I love kids. Babies, they're a lot of work, and they smell. My wife, she loves it. She loves it. She's been one who's picked the food out, the diapers, how we structure sleep time, when we start introducing something new, which is like, feels like every week. 
My wife is in charge of those things in our house. And I mean no disrespect as roles can vary so differently in other houses and that's totally great. But in our household, we like calling what she does being the mom. She's the mom and I'm the dad, meaning I'm the fun one. I'm the one advocating for fun snacks for our baby. I'm the one who's coming up with an adventure that's past the sleep schedule. I'm the one that's actually number two in the parenting world. Uh, we've made our workmanship of parenting and marriage this way on purpose. But recently, we've experienced like some times where things try to creep in and change that on us. Um, the other day, we had a doctor's appointment for Eliza, and my wife had to work, so I had to take her in. And I was like, wait, what? I'm the dad. I don't do those things. Like, what's the hospital's name? Who's our doctor? Like, what do you mean you have to check in twice at the hospital? Someone, uh, another time, uh, someone called me about our health insurance, and, and they're, like, asking about Eliza, and I'm like, what? I'm the dad. I'm the dad. Wouldn't it make more sense to call the mom? Or the, another one, the other day, someone asked me, what kind of baby food are you guys using? I did one of these. I'm like, I don't know. The soft kind? Like... I don't know these things. I'm the dad. But these are things we made in our workmanship as parents and as a relationship. It was a workmanship of what we wanted. Well, again, if we look at that verse, uh, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's saying after accepting Jesus, we are now his workmanship. We're unique, and we're set for good works, particular good works. Or in other words, we are grace-built people set for good works. Or in even easier terms, you are a grace-built people ready to grace-bomb people. Now, what does grace-bombing someone look like, or what is a grace-bomb? Uh, a grace-bomb is an intentional act of love motivated by Jesus, a surprising gift meant to brighten your neighbor's day. Grace is, again, it's this unexpected, disruptive, and it's this gift that has this power to change everything like a bomb does. So we are to do that to others. But then if we go back to our verse, notice how the verse ends saying that we should walk in them, meaning something God prepared ahead of time. Meaning God has already done a lot of the work for us. He's orchestrated unique opportunities in your everyday life to give grace to others. You are a person walking into what God has prepared for you to bomb with grace. It just takes an act of saying yes to them. So, you know, you know those times like you're with your neighbor and they're like, I just really need someone to help me move this one thing. Maybe that's you. Your kid's teacher is saying like, they just can't provide snack tomorrow because no one's bringing it. Maybe that's you. The person in line in front of you is having the hardest day, or behind you is having the hardest day. Maybe you buy their thing. The mom's struggling, can't get her groceries in the car. Maybe that's you. The person on the side of the road is hungry. You seeing, there, seeing this and being there in that moment could be God orchestrating some of that. It just takes some saying yes to bombing them with grace. Me recently, uh, uh, my wife and I, we've gotten really good at saying no to things. Uh, honestly, for like all things. We're, we're boring. I, I feel like it comes with being a parent. But anyways, we used to do cool stuff. We used to go to breweries. We'd be out late. We'd rollerblade, rock climb, sail, hike, bike. Do all the things I just mentioned in one day. Now it's like, what do you want to do? Should we go out? Nah. Want to do this thing real quick? Nah. 
We're good at one thing right now. Watch shows? Sure. Let's watch shows. Yeah. It's so easy to say no to things, yet so difficult to say yes to something out of routine. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like, especially after this year of COVID, being at home versus doing is way easier. But what if you had a bit of a push to say yes? There's this new family movie out on Netflix. Uh, we watched it in a time that I said no to other things, and we said yes to staying in. But the, the movie's called Yes Day, and it changes a way to think about yes. Uh, here's a little clip about it that applies to this, and it's specifically for you kids out there. Check it out. Thing I've learned from being a mom, it's that parents and kids no, 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 no. always disagree on one thing. No, no, no. Rules. But saying no 50 times an hour? No. Absolutely not. Nope on a rope. It's part of the job. But all of that is about to change. Have you heard about yesterday? It's this new thing where parents say yes to everything their kids ask for for 24 hours. Radical! How am I just hearing about this? Well, yes days are like fun, and mom and dad are like fun killers. We are plenty fun. We used to say yes to everything. We can be fun again. Really? Let's do this! Arriba! It's yes day! Who's ready for yes day? Ellie wants to do your hair and makeup. I have a vision. Yes. I'm glad you're using your, your watercolors. What? what do we do? One word, two letters, and oh. Windows down! I hear myself when I'm with the kids and I think I wouldn't even hang out with me. If we want Yes Day to make a difference, we need to go all in. Sometimes it takes a little extra push in the moment to say yes, right? Like just an ahead of time commitment to say yes to something. What about that yes is to grace? to giving grace to others. Because honestly, it's so easy to fall into no, right? But she said a line in the video that really stuck out to me. It was towards the end. She said, I hear myself when I'm with the kids and I think I wouldn't even want to hang out with me. When I think about saying yes to grace, do you ever listen to yourself or reflect on your actions and think, I've said no, I've been judgmental, or I've made an excuse not to show grace so many times? Am I even a grace-filled person, a graceful person? I know I've been there so many times. I need something set. I need something to push me, which is what we're prompting you grace-filled people to do today. So I'd like to give you a new tool and give it in your hands and give you something to try for a few weeks at Centerpoint. Uh, it's called Grace Bomb. There's some details in the seat in front of you. So there's a stack of cards and a direction sheet. You can grab them. Um, what these cards are, these are everyday neighbor-loving tools to help you exercise grace. The cards are, they're first off, they're for you. Uh, they're a reminder for you to keep in your pocket and have them with you then to be reminded of the fact that you've been grace-bombed by God. You've received grace from God. But then it's also this reminder for you that you have everyday opportunities to grace-bomb others. It's secondly for your neighbor. Like anyone you encounter, it accompanies an act of love or kindness or compassion. Uh, meaning when you show grace, you can give them one of these cards. If the person is interested or intrigued and wants something more, you can explain it or they can go to the website. Or honestly, they could just toss it if they're not into it. Now, you might be thinking, is this just another one of those kindness movements? Not necessarily. Because what we're doing is we're pointing to the source. 
This is an intentional act of grace, a movement of obedience to Jesus as his workmanship, a response to the grace bomb we experienced on Easter. My family and I, we've been trying to figure out, like, how to grace bomb as we've been preparing for this. And, like, we saw, like, we were with this other family the other day, and they're trying so hard to keep their kids quiet for, there's four kids, and they just were struggling. And we, we wanted the grace bomb them, just buying them ice cream or something, you know. And we thought about that. I was at Menards, and the guy behind me was all crabby, like he was in a rush, and I should have just grace bombed him and, and let him in front of me. Or there's, there's things that you can just walk into, and the list could go on forever of ideas. There's lots of ideas also on the website that you can check out. Now, you might be thinking, that's cool and all, but are we just bragging as Christians or trying to claim all of our good deeds? No. We have to let Jesus weigh in here on the why, which is in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. It says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a lamp uh, and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine means letting people see your good works. So as we're getting close to wrapping up here, this Easter, we celebrate being people who have been fully built on the grace bomb of Jesus that happened on Easter. Today, if you're just learning about that grace bomb that Jesus offered and you've accepted it for the first time, this grace that's been seen since the beginning all the way up to Jesus, we are so happy for you. But if you've experienced that grace for a while and you're not letting that bomb infiltrate your life, we are then now set to be a church and prompting you to be people who are these grace-filled people who are set to grace bomb people. We'll be talking about Grace Bomb for the next three weeks here at Center Point. So I challenge you to take those cards with you and that instruction sheet and do as it says, which it says these are the three things you got to do. You got to load, meaning have the cards on you. You got to listen and watch for opportunities to Grace Bomb other people and then let her go, meaning act on it and give your card. So as I end my time with you today and bands working their way up, I want to challenge you to, on the sleeve of the, those cards, is I want you just to take like 15 minutes during that video, uh, or 15 seconds, to just kind of think about a person you want to grace bomb, a person that you maybe like just know needs grace. Pray about it, think about that, and write it, and it's just for you, it's just only for you that you can take with you, but then act on it, do it. And then when you do it, share your story. We want to hear that grace bomb uh, at that website. With all this said, I can't wait to hear your stories. Because if we are grace bombing people here at church, we get to be part of Jesus' grace bombing act that's remembered for centuries. I'm going to pray that we all are built on grace, accepting Jesus' grace personally, but then also become grace bombing people. If you want that... Would you pray with me right now? Dear Heavenly Father, as I pray uh, of the fact that you've grace-bombed us in an amazing way, that's what Easter is all about, the grace we've experienced. And then, God, some of us right now, we, we've let grace infiltrate our lives. We want to grace-bomb others. Help us figure out how to do that. Give us the prompting, the nudges. We are your workmanship that's ready to grace